hearts to uh, live with you, to abide with you more, Lord God, I pray. I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't accept any substitutes of a, for a relationship with you. Lord God, that everything else be distasteful uh, compared to the real thing, compared to knowing you uh, and being with you and, and knowing you better and, and spending time in your word and, and being ministered to by your Holy Spirit and marveling at your majesty, Lord God. Be with us now, I pray. Just open our ears to hear. Lord, I pray that your word would just speak this morning just ferociously to us about how just uh, how dogmatic you are about a relationship with you. Open our ears, Lord, to hear that we might understand. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Let's see. Let's get started. I wanted to... um, Let's jump down a couple of slides, Jason, already. Look, I'm, I'm already skipping some stuff, but uh, it, this is important stuff. Let's, let's jump down to progressive sanctification, please, sir. Progressive sanctification. I sent you that, didn't I? Progressive sanctification. Here we go. This, let me give you a real, a real yawner to start out with. That way I make sure I've got your attention. This is what I learned at Speech 101 back when I was in school, is that you put everybody to sleep before you start, start talking. No, not really. But let me start with this because it's really important. Progressive sanctification, what that term means, that theological term, progressive sanctification, means that basically is that it's the process of maturing as a believer to be more like Christ. Okay? Okay? Progressive sanctification. All right. When you see it as a definition, it doesn't seem that difficult. It doesn't seem that hard. It doesn't seem that threatening, does it? But in truth, this is the most difficult thing I've ever tried to do in my life. This was harder than potty training my children, and I'm telling you that's saying something. Are you with me? Yes, Brenda agrees. That was, you know, we always talk about if we had children again, and she says, of course, something like, absolutely not, or uh, I would chase you out of the house, something like that. Uh, but uh, really, she says, really, you want to potty train again? And then that reminds me, no, no, I, I probably don't want any more children. But uh, yeah, okay, enough about potty training. This is the most difficult thing I've ever tried to do, and, and for you too, I'm sure, because it's hard to be like Jesus, isn't it? I mean, it's some point to the time that I get to phases in my life, and I just want to quit. I just want to give up. I just want to say, there is apparently something wrong with me because this isn't going very well, you know? Now, I know you're more spiritual and more righteous than I am, so this has probably not been as difficult for you. But for me, this has been a difficult thing. Um, let me tell you, progressive sanctification is, means that is that we're all going somewhere. And, and I need to counter some things that have sneaked into Christian culture. The first one is this, is that you weren't saved just so your sins would be forgiven. Are you with me? You were saved for something much greater than that. You were saved that you would have a door open to you that was closed because of your sin, because you were shut out from God because of your sin, and your sin's been done away with, but that's not Christianity. That's step one in Christianity. Step two is the door has been opened, and now you have a relationship possible with God that no one in history had had before because of their sin. Because sin is a, is a universal problem, because we all have it, we all struggle with it, we've all faced it, and we've all failed. Yeah? But because of what Jesus Christ has done, he has opened the door for us that we may march right in to the throne room of God uh, with no fear, with no hesitation. It's really an amazing thing that's described by the writer of Hebrews without any fear. Uh, it's, an, it's an incredible thing. Uh, but that's just the first step is the forgiveness of our sins. But listen, I know as Baptists, sometimes we do really well at evangelism and we do really well at missions. And then we get someone saved and we get them in the church and it's like we don't know what to do with them after that. 
Yeah, that's kind of our history. And all, all denominations are that way. They're strong in something, then they're weak in something else, right? Because denominations are, after all, a human institution. It's just going to be that way. Uh, but listen, I want to tell you this morning is that you weren't saved. Jesus didn't die just so that you might have forgiveness of your sin. That is not all. That's not the end of the story. That's the beginning. That, that, that's the beginning. And that is, is that we've been now freed up from our sins. We've been forgiven, and we can now move on into something much greater than we ever knew, and that is within a relationship of Jesus Christ. These are the things that, that the prophets, you know, that, uh, that Peter talks about, about the, the prophets and the people of the Old Testament wish they had known. They wish they could see it. They never got to see it. This is the one that the writer of Hebrews says is those, those people of faith and in chapter 11, the, those heroes of faith never got to see what they were hoping for, and now here it is, is that we have freedom from our sins, and that's not all, but we have now a relationship opened up with us where we can know God and he will know us. It's an incredible thing. It's an amazing thing. And I know you've been hearing that your whole life, but uh, that's what this whole deal is going to be about today. Let me tell you, it's a lifelong process of, of discipleship or, or, or sanctification. I don't care what you call it, but that's generally what I'm trying to talk about this morning is that process of maturing as a believer. It's a lifelong process, all right? I've told you before, uh, listen to a little bit of uh, Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler says that, you know, he was saved in kind of an evangelical church, and he got into church, and then it was like he walked in the church and no one had any problems. And then he was thinking, what's wrong with me? These people all seem to have it all together, and I'm still struggling with sin. What's the matter with me? And he got really frustrated for a time and would have given up in his Christian walk, except for some believers who caught a hold of him and say, let's, let's dream about doing church a different way. And uh, that basically kind of where he started, how he started going in the direction that he's going now. Uh, but that's the thing is that we can look around, we can all put on our Sunday faces. And I was just talking to some folks just before service today. I, I'd like to change our culture here at Calvary, that we don't have that kind of a culture where I put on my Sunday face and you put on your Sunday face and I don't have any problems and you don't have any problems. And we come and we meet and we shake hands, good to see you. And then we go back to our problems Monday morning. That's not the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that is very, very honest and very open about our struggles uh, with sin and, and, and with fears and with other things, just to be very honest and open about it. Uh, because really, quite honestly, if we're not open about it, we're just deceiving ourselves and other people, right? Does anyone here struggle with sin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all do. And, uh, and if we act like we're not, then we're never going to go anywhere. This, this group of, of believers uh, just gets together and pretends and no one is honest with each other and no one is honest with themselves and we struggle in our sins until someone struggles with the sin so catastrophic that it influences the, their lives for the rest of their lives. That, that, that's not acceptable for a church. It's a lifelong process. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep coming back to that. It's a lifelong process. This is not something that I wake up tomorrow and then all of a sudden I'm through with my struggle with sin. You know that, but you need to hear it. This is a decades-long walk with Christ. The fruit of the Spirit takes years and decades to get, to, to see grow, you know? Th those take a long time to grow. And it's so easy if we just think that we're the only one with the problem to get frustrated and just say, forget it. I'm Apparently there's something wrong in me that God can't fix. It's just not the case. Um, the other thing is it's a painful process. You know, it, sanctification is a painful process because here's how it works. Here's how it works is that I counter something in my life that is contrary to what I see in the scriptures, right? Give you an example. 
I wake up and I don't want to have my quiet time. Now, I read in the scriptures, and I know from the Psalms, I know from the Gospels, that being in the Word is one of the greatest things that can happen to me every day, right? And, I, you, know, and I, you know, you and I know a little history. We know that some of the people in the, after the Renaissance gave their lives so that people like you and me could have the Bible even in our hands in a, in a language we could understand, right? They went for, the church went for 600 years or so or 900 years or so, without having a, a Bible that the common person could even read. Here we are in the year 2000, and we have, a, you know, the average, average family in America has four Bibles in their home, and none of them gets used, right, throughout the week, except to be dusted off and brought on Sunday mornings, right? Uh, but, but, but that's kind of where we are. It's, it's, a, it's a lifelong process, and it's a difficult process. So, I, you know, I wake up in the morning, and I don't feel like reading my Bible, and I know I f- should feel like reading my Bible. And so what do I do? I've got a f- couple of choices there. One is I can just eke out the discipline, and I can just do it. And of just, just responsibility, and of just sheer discipline, and of just sheer this is the right thing I'm supposed to do, so grudgingly I'm going to do it. Or... We can say, Lord, there's something wrong in my heart because I don't feel like being in your word this morning. Would you fix what's wrong in me? Would you work on that part in me that's broken because it's not right and I know it? Would you just work on me? Would you just, Lord, would you just minister to me now and, and, and spend time then in the scripture? You know what I'm saying? But we have that choice all the time when, when we come up against something that convicts us to either say, well, I'm just going to push through this or I'm going to ignore it or I'm going to go to the Lord and ask for his help to fix this that's broken in me. Are you with me? But that's sanctification. It's all the time I'm coming up against things in my own life, in me, in, in my spirit, things that are wrong, and going to the Lord and asking for his help to fix it. It's a painful process. I don't like to have things pointed out in me that are wrong. Are, are you like that? <laughs> Pardon me. Are you like that? I don't like that process. I don't like it. But then again, here's the deal, is that I know what lies on the other side of that. See, when there comes conviction, and then there comes confession on my point where I say, Lord, this is your right. I am not right here, and I need you to fix it. You know what happens? When I enter into a relationship with the Lord, and I really ask him to help work on this broken thing in me, and then I start to see some fruit to that for that, you know what I can do then? Is that I can go back to God in joy and say, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for continuing to work on me. Thank you even though I understand my sin a little bit better every day that you're still working on me. That's a great thing, isn't it? That's the joy in the relationship with the Lord that we have, that, that we can't have if we'll do it, right? Okay, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but um, let me tell you, some folks get frustrated in the process and they give up. Some folks get so frustrated in the process that they just give up because they can't discipline themselves well enough to quit that sin or they can't discipline themselves enough to do that thing that they know they ought to be doing. And so what do they do? They just give up and they say, there must be something wrong with me. I must be broken. Other people just must be more spiritual than I am. I'm apparently not there. And, uh, and they just give up and they wait on the sidelines and they don't ever go anywhere uh, again, uh, except that the, the Lord calls them back. Um, but I'm, I want to tell you this morning is that we have an advocate on our side who wants to see us grow as believers who wants to see the sin that's been kicking your back end hind end who wants to see that thing overcome in your life 
we have an advocate on our side who wants to see the fears that have been shackling you to, to see release from those. We have an advocate on our side who wants to, to see whatever sin has been holding you and the thing that you think you can't ever get over to help you over it. Yeah? And we have an advocate on our side, and let me tell you, uh, there's no one greater. Uh, all right, we're, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. I want to talk to you, though, about, um, about some things that are traps to discipleship or sanctification. These are some, some things that we can get stuck in that keep us from progressing, all right? So I want to bring them up uh, to you this morning. These are traps or, or maybe substitutes to what the real thing is about what real discipleship or what real sanctification is, all right? The first one is uh, a self-disciplined disciple. We can be a self-disciplined disciple, which is not the real thing. We can be a defeated disciple, which, again, is not the real thing. Or we can be a second-hand disciple. I'm going to tell you what those, those things mean that I just made up, basically, uh, these, these terms. Here's the first one. The, fir- the self-disciplined dis- disciple tries to discipline himself to be a better Christian. Okay? Now, that doesn't sound bad, right? S- to discipline yourself to be a better Christian sounds like a good thing. Right? It sounds like something maybe we all ought to be doing. Let, you know, let's grow in our self-discipline and let's just go out there and be better Christians. You know? We're going to work like, you know, this goes to the football team analogy. We're all going to work hard on the basics and then on the way when it's game day, you know, you, you train hard, play hard. That's how it works. Uh, that way when it's game day, we're all going to be out there and be ready to go. But the problem is this, is that, if, are you ready for this? If you could do by self-discipline what you needed to do to be righteous, Jesus died for nothing. You and I, no one ever had enough self-discipline to get out of sin, right? No one ever did. And we all needed forgiveness, and we never could get there. And uh, Paul writes to the Galatians some words that he didn't write to the, some of the other uh, groups. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law or because you believe what you heard? All right. Here's what was happening in Galatia, is that there were, there were Christians, or I'm sorry, there were Jews who had become believers, and they were... Uh, there were some in the, Christian, uh, in the Christian church there who was teaching that basically, yeah, you could become a Christian if you want to, Gentile, anyone who is not a Jew, but you have to add to the gospel. You have to be circumcised, and you need to follow some parts of the Old Testament law, and you need to be doing these things. And they said, or else you weren't acceptable as a Christian because, you know, Christianity started out kind of like in Judaism and then became Christianity, right? And so that was, their, that was their thought, is that Gentiles needed to learn to be better Jews to be Christians, right? Paul writes to them and say, what did you gain by observing the law? Nothing. What did you do by outward appearance, by outward work? What did you gain you? And he says, nothing. And he says, have you learned nothing? All you did was believe the message that we had, and that's how you came to Christ, and now you want to depart to that and go back to the Old Testament law and live under the Testament law and make others live by it. He says, are you so foolish? Did you come to know Christ that way? No, you came by believing, by faith in a message that Jesus Christ died on our behalf and righteousness comes through him, not through what I do. Yeah? All right. 
Self-discipline doesn't work. If it did, Jesus would not have had to die, right? Self-discipline doesn't work. You and I can't work hard enough to grow spiritually, yeah? Now, let me tell you what we can do. Let me tell you where this path leads is that we can either work really hard and do really hard and we're in our Bible and, and we're working really hard, we're really disciplined, we're, we're giving and we're doing all those things and we're in church every time the doors open and, and we're doing all those things. But what happens to a person who is disciplining themselves in their Christianity? They become proud, don't they? Well, I can do it. Why can't you do it? What do you mean you have trouble being in your Bible? What do you mean you have trouble reading it? Just do it. Just be in it. Just, just do it. When you don't feel like it, do it. When you don't feel like it, it's even more important to do it. Right? It's like a training program. They can become very self-righteous and very uh, self-justified. And that's a really be- uh, bad place to be. Jesus railed against people like that, didn't he? He took those people who felt self-righteous, the Pharisees, and he had no kind word to say to them, did he? Every time he was calling them a brood of vipers, he's calling them snakes, he's calling them their mouths like empty graves. Uh, and actually, yeah, it's a dangerous thing to be self-righteous because you're further from God than you were if you were broken and, 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 and in stooped in sin. It's a dangerous thing to be self-righteous. Now, here's the deal. You and I know people like this. If you've been in church at all, you know people who do very well in church because they're very self-disciplined. They're very type A personalities, and they can. They're able to read their Bible well. They're able to, to do this, and they've decided about what external things they need to be doing, and they're doing it, and they're doing it well. And they look down on other people who can't, right? Does this sound at all familiar to you? Does it sound like people you know? Jesus even talked about it. He was talking about the Pharisees, and he's talking about us uh, lowly Gentiles and, and, and other people coming to know God when he told the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember what happened to the older brother that was there? The older brother wouldn't go out and meet him, and he said, I worked for you, and you never so much as threw me a party. You never so much as did anything for me. Do you hear, you hear what he's saying is that he was grudgingly working for the father, resenting it all along, but doing the work. But in that story, do you know who was loved? Do you know who was accepted? Do you know who the father was so glad to see? What was the son who totally blew it, right? Who walked on his father's authority, but he came back in humility, right? right. We can't be, you can't be like the younger son. Here's the deal is that um, you and I know people like this. You and I know people who live by a certain standard and they look down on everyone else. But here's the scary thing. It's scary when you see it in yourself. And we all do. True? You See, you and I have decided what parts of Christianity are important to follow. And we follow those few things externally. And we just self-discipline. We just suck it up. We just pull ourselves up by our own bootstrap. And we just follow along a certain way. And we look at other people who aren't doing it like we're doing it. And we say, (laughs) hopeless. It's scary to see in yourself. You should be scared to see it in yourself. Yeah. Because here's the deal. I don't care how self-righteous you think you are. Excuse me. I'm going to get a little fired up here. I don't care how self-righteous you think you are. I don't, think, I don't care how good you are about following the externals. You still have a sin problem in your heart. You still lust. You still have anger and unforgiveness in your heart. And no amount of self-discipline is going to get rid of those for you. That is only something that Jesus Christ can take away. It is only something through walking for, for decades with Jesus Christ can you have relief from some of those problems in your heart. 
true? And that's why, you know, we see it all the time. We see it all the time. We see preachers and we see politicians, people who espouse, you know, family uh, values and all this stuff who end up, you know, they're running a prostitution ring out of their home or something crazy. You know, someone who, who, who ends up who's been having an affair with a prostitute or, or something for decades because on the, they had all the externals right, but they never dealt with what was inside because they never had a relationship with Jesus Christ where he was engaging them and they were engaging him and he was reading their sin and helping them to overcome it and they never grew. They were stunted in their growth internally. But externally, they look great. Oh, man. Yeah, God help us. All right. All right. So the, the, that self-discipline can lead one of two ways. It can either lead us to the point that we feel really good about ourselves and we pat ourselves on the back about all that we've been self-disciplined enough to overcome and we become proud and self-righteous and God hates that. Or... We can become defeated. We can say, I've been trying and trying to overcome sin. Who's done this? I know I have. I've tried and tried and tried to overcome sin for years even that I struggled with, you know? And I felt like I would never be able to get over it. And you know what happens if all you're doing is trying and trying and trying to discipline yourself more and more and you never can overcome it? You know what that leads to is the defeated disciple. This is the one, this is the person who's been trying by effort to follow God, but they can't do it. They can't overcome their sin. They can't share their faith like they know they're supposed to. They, they can't be in the word every day like they're supposed to. They can't pray enough. They just can't do it. They don't have the want to. They don't have the know-how, and they're just unable to do it, and they're defeated, and they give up, and they sit on the sideline, and they've stopped growing. That's the defeated disciple. And he's come to believe or she's come to believe that there's something wrong in me. There are just people who are more spiritual, and I'm not one of those people. You know, you, you ever felt that way? I know churches who, who thrive on we're spiritual and you're not, but that'll be another time. Um, th- and, and we think there's something wrong with you. With, you think there's something wrong with you, but the, the truth is, is that you've never really understood sanctification, if that's where you were, if that's where you are. You've never really understood what discipleship is, if that's where you are, Right? Uh, uh, because this is it, this is it, is that what we want to do is that we, you know, we kind of forget how we became a Christian and we go off and we want to clean ourselves up before we go back to God and discipleship. Before I go back into relationship with God, I just need to go over here and I need to, I need to clean myself up. I need to get my act together a little better and then, I'm, then I'll go and be in relationship to God. But here's the thing is that the secret is this. It only happens in relationship to God, Right? Discipleship and sanctification and growth as a believer and maturity only happens in relationship to God. You can't go off and make yourself clean and come back and everything be good. No, it doesn't work like that. We have a God and we have an advocate in heaven who says, no, you come to me every time you want to be cleaned, every time you need forgiveness of your sins, every time. And he has it for us every single time. And there's no need to feel defeated. Are you with me? There's no need to feel defeated because this is his plan, is that you're going to struggle with sin until the day we all get do away with these bodies of sin, right? Every one of us will always struggle. And people who are acting like it, like they, they don't have those struggles, are self-deluded, right? We all have struggles with sin. But here's the cure, is that in relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a maturity and there is forgiveness and there is God coming, saying, bringing us along and saying, I know where you are, I know where you've come, I know where I've brought you from, and I'll tell you, I'm not done with you yet. 
you don't give up because my power is perfected in your weakness. Amen? You ever been defeated? You ever felt like you were hopeless? You ever felt, felt like you were apparently the only Christian in the world that God couldn't do something with? I think we've all felt that way. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's not everybody. But, but we all come to that point. But, but let me tell you, is that the, the whole plan here is that not that you would come to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and then get, go and get your act together. No, 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 no. The plan was this always, is that we would always take a relationship with Jesus Christ for us to grow and mature and be sanctified and to continue in our discipleship. It will always take that. You're never going to get away from it. Here's the deal about God. He is so relational. It is all about relationship with him. You can't do, we're going to read it in just a minute, but you can't do anything apart from relationship with him. Jesus said so. We'll, we'll read that in a minute. But this was his plan. You are not stuck and you are not hopeless, and you are not broken any more than the rest of us, and you are not corrupt to the point that you can't be saved. God's arms are not too short to save you. His power is not too limited to reach in and rescue you at any time and every time he can reach in and say, you're mine, and I have plans for you, and we're going to take these things one at a time, and he's going to begin to put in place uh, a, a spiritual fruit where there's been spiritual deadness, right? That's why Jesus talked about pruning. That's why Jesus talked about growing and us growing like a vine. That's why Jesus talked about the process of, of, growing, fr uh, of growing being like the production of fruit. It takes work from not only the vine, uh, or not just the vine, it takes work from the vine dresser. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to that in a second. You're not done. We have one who is all for us. We have one who is all for us, our growth. We have one who's on our side, and he knows every weakness we have. It's not like it's hidden from him. True? True? And he has plans to move us beyond that. Amen? There's hope for us yet. Huh? There's hope for us yet. Yeah, we're not too far gone. All right. The, the, second one, the third one is this, is the second-hand discipleship. And this is the one that is just prevalent in, in the Bible Belt. The, the second-hand disciple attends church regularly, listens to Christian radio, podcasts sermons, reads Christian books, but doesn't have a close relationship with Christ. This is a, this is a Christian who is very much caught up in the culture of Christianity in, in our society. You know? you know, when you were a kid, isn't this amazing about what's happened? When I was a kid, you couldn't find a Christian radio station. I, I don't know that there was one in Amarillo. We lived in Booker for a good part of my growing up years, but uh, I don't know that there was one in Emerald. Now, you can't turn the station without finding Christian radio. It's become part of our culture, which is just amazing to me. I, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm talking about that. But, uh, uh, but, but here's, here's the deal with secondhand disciples. Secondhand disciples aren't being discipled by God. They're being discipled by other people. And here's what I mean. These are people who spend a lot of time, who spend some time reading, they spend some time immersed in Christian song. They spend some time in, uh, uh, you know, listening to sermons maybe even, attending church all the time, but they don't have a close relationship with Jesus Christ. They're always, listen, they're always relying on someone else's relationship with Christ for them, for their relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Are you with me? Let me tell you, um, have you ever been to the point where you've been studying in Scripture and you've come across something really difficult, something that you just totally different, don't, didn't understand? I know when I was in college, I was reading in 1 John and, and uh, about holiness in 1 John. And I tell you what, 
it, it took me, I, I, well, I don't think I still understand it, but it took me a long time to understand what John was saying in, in 1 John. And I battled with those scriptures, uh, really. You know what I mean? I, I, you, know, we lead, he, we, you know, John says crazy stuff like, be holy like God is holy. And I'm like, how, how do you do, you can't do that, you know? And I battled with those scriptures. And, and, but, you know, through a lot of study and a lot of time and a lot of prayer, God began to open up my mind to what he meant by those words. You know what I mean? And it became very meaningful to me. And I was struggling with sin at the time and a plaguing sin. You know, one of the, this, that was very difficult to get over. And I was at the point, you know, where you're like, what's wrong with me? I must be broken. Everyone else is working fine. It's not working so good for me. And what's wrong with me? You know, and, and to that point. But here's the deal. But when God began to speak to me and reveal to me what those scriptures meant, that meant something to me. I began to learn a little more about the majesty of God and the plan he had for my sanctification. And, you know, in that process, I began to love God more because I understood a little bit better what he had for me. Now, I could stand up here and deliver a message on holiness and what God intends for you, but honestly, it won't make you love God anymore. It's something that you have to do. Let me give you an example. I brag on my wife all the time, and for good reason. She's an amazing, loving woman that, that really, truly the love of Christ for me, I can experience through her. It's just an amazing thing. And, and thank God she's forgiving. Huh? Right, honey? Okay, yeah. Whew. I was a little worried there for a minute. And thank God she's forgiving. Uh, and I can tell you about how loving she is to me. I can tell you about what good care she takes of me and our children. And I can tell you about, how wonder, about just what wonderful, thoughtful things she does for me that makes me love her. But that's not going to make you fall in love with her. It won't work that way, will it? It's not going to make you fall in love with her. You have to experience it yourself. You know? And by the way, she's taken, so don't even be thinking that. But um, uh, it, it, doesn't work that way. it doesn't work that way with God either. You cannot learn to love God through secondhand discipleship. You can't let someone else be in the relationship, and then you just come behind them and say, oh, let, me, let me learn how to do that better. It doesn't lurk like that. You'll never love them as much as the person who's doing the, doing the, the stuff, being, you know, spending the time in the relationship. It, it'll never work for you that way. Can I tell you, I think that's a lot of the reason why there are so many people who are drawn aside by the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. As if, as crazy as this is, as if God, you know what, I'm sorry, we've got to jump into John 15. Let, we'll, we'll read about that in a little bit. We've got to jump into John 15. Uh, but let me say this. Here's the last one. Here's true, true discipleship is this, is abiding discipleship. L let me tell you what I mean. Is that uh, uh, Jesus came and he lived and he abode with us in John chapter 1. You remember reading that? He abode with us. He lived amongst us. He lived with us. All right? Jesus continues to talk about and say, you be with me. You, you live with me. You live in relationship with me. And he talked about that all the time. You abide with me. Can I tell you, here we go. The secret to discipleship is relationship with Jesus Christ. There's, there's no other substitute. You cannot grow spiritually apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. It will not happen. I can promise you because I just read it here uh, this morning. John chapter 15, please. Uh, we're going to cut this back just a little bit, but let's, uh, let's read, let's begin in, in uh, John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Okay, Jesus is the what? 
vine and the father is the gardener. What's a gardener do? Takes care of the vine, dresses it, prunes it, cares for it. All right. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. I really don't like that part. You like that part? He, bears, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, I don't like this part either, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As, my fa- as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that he, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then, my, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. All right. Uh, I, I, this is my command, love each other. All right. Uh, what's he say there? I just want to point out just four little parts of this scripture. In part, uh, in verse 5, the second part of this, it says, Apart from me, you can do... Listen, I can promise you, you will not grow apart from Jesus Christ, apart from relationship with him. Where you are today, you will be in 10 years. Where you are today, you will be in 20 years if you are not in relationship with Jesus Christ. There are just no apologies there, are there? It's just like, okay, well, if you, you know, read your Bible and, you know, don't focus so much on the relationship, just do something. Now, if you just work harder, if you just discipline yourself, it's not in there, is it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. The good thing is the first part of that verse, it says, if we abide in him, we can bear what? Much fr- we can be terribly fruitful, very fruitful. There will be much fruitiness, right? Fruitfulness, I'm just kidding. Fruitfulness. And verse 11, he says, listen to what he says. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Here's the deal. You and I as Christians have bought into this some sort of bizarre culture of Christianity that says Christianity's hard work and you just got to keep after it and it doesn't matter what you feel like, you just got to grudgingly get through it. Read this one more time. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Can I tell you this? Here's the secret. Is that it's really not that hard, discipleship and growth. It's just being with Jesus Christ. And when you be with Jesus Christ, when you abide with him, when you're in his word for the purpose of not just to get through the verses that you want to get through that morning, yeah, not grudgingly just praying through your list of things, Lord, these are the things that people need help with, and forgetting the relationship. Forget all of that. Forget all of that. It, the, the, the thing is, the key is, is that being in relationship with Jesus Christ and growing in him 
actually produces joy in your life? Are you missing joy? Did you miss out on the joy part of Christianity? Well, back up. Back up. You've missed it. You've missed it entirely. If you're not experiencing joy in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you've missed it. If you've not experienced the joy of seeing God work in you, some of the fruit that he's promised, some of the fruit that he said would be there, and you can rejoice with God to say, I never thought you could do this in me, then you're really, you've missed it. You've missed the part of the relationship that's, that's key, that's pivotal, that's important. All right. And the, in verse 14, he says this, you are my friends if you do what I command. It's just an incredible thing to me that somehow Jesus Christ, though we were enemies and though he died for us and laid down his life for us and suffered a, a torturous, terrible death for us, says, you're my friends if you do what I command. We can experience friendship and joy in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And all the while, in the midst of the relationship, we're growing and maturing and becoming more and more like him. There is no substitute. You can't ignore this part. You can't just self-discipline yourself. You can't just be about reading the Bible. You have to be reading the Bible for a purpose so that you might know him better. You can't just pray for the sake of praying, even though you've got a list of requests of things that you know you ought to be praying for. You're praying because you're trying to build your relationship. Yeah? You, you can't just sit and ponder and focus and memorize Scripture, but you're memorizing Scripture for a purpose because you want God's truth to be in your heart because you want ultimately to please Him because you're in what? Relationship with Him. You can't bypass the relationship. You can't do it. Christianity doesn't work that way. And why would you want to anyway? We might as well be practicing Islam. You might as well be practicing Hindu. If you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the reason Jesus Christ died, not just so that we could have our, our sins forgiven, that, that he might redeem us and relate to us again. Are you with me? Are you with me? Let's finish. John chapter thir- or, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his self-discipline, he went and sold everything he had begrudgingly and bought it. That's not what it says, is it? The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his sense of morality, because it was the right thing to do, he sold everything he had. No, it doesn't say that either. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man bought it, he hid it again. And then he asked someone else to go buy it for him. It doesn't say that either, does it? It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy he sold everything he had and bought that field are you missing the joy part of the relationship listen christianity is about about how disciplined you can be christianity is not about finding following some sort of culture of religion where you're listening to what other people say about god it's discovering it for yourself right and it's not about to the point where you've been self-defeated because you've been trying and trying and trying it's about the relationship and finding joy in it, and following, finding, figuring out to know that I can progress in this spiritual walk, and all it takes is being with Jesus Christ. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? All right, let's close. I've kept you too long here. I apologize. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that you've built us for something greater than just a religion, something greater than just morality. 
you've created us and, and you, you sent your son to die for us for something greater than, than just us trying to do what we think is right. You've created us that we might have a relationship with you. And Father, we know that when we do, that we can find joy and we can find uh, a friendship with you. We, can f- we find that, uh, that you're working on our behalf uh, to grow us and mature us in our, in our spiritual walk, Lord God. And uh, Lord, what can we say? We, th- we just thank you. We thank you that you've created uh, this relationship this way, that, that we can't do anything apart from you, but with you, we can bear much fruit. What an amazing thing. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that uh, every time that we have a struggle, Lord, you have an answer for us in discipleship, in, your re- in relationship with you. Father, be with us, I pray. Help us to love you more. Help us to, to find greater joy in, in our relationship with you, Lord God, I pray. Help us to, to become true disciples, not secondhand, not self-righteous ones, but true disciples of yours, people who are really caught up in a relationship with you that's growing and passionate and vibrant. Lord, I pray. I pray that for, for everyone in this church body. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you all for being here. Appreciate you.